I'm recording here, the main record is still going, so that is all fine, and I am doing the introduction of this one, I've got to remember how to speak Spanish. Hola, bienvenidos, uh, okay, right. Oh, you're going to edit around it, are you? I'm just giving myself a test run. You, did, you, you could have given yourself a test run with your... Oh, like that would have made any bloody difference at all, you'd have still been a twat about it. <laughs> yes. But it's okay, because this works two ways, because I'm about to do something that opens it up to mockery from your end. Although you've got to be careful to not sound racist by mocking foreign culture. I won't do, because I'll just be using the white man trying to be Spanish as the point of my mockery. Fair enough. <sighs> bear in mind, I'm going to include this as a cold open. Please bear in mind that I did not do Spanish when I was at school. I did French, so this is not a tongue I am... Will I be able to tell? You'll be able to tell, Yes. Hola a bienvenidos a Undercut Podcast as we sit down to review the Mexican Grand Prix. See, that wasn't bad. He's fluent, ladies and gentlemen. He's fluent. He is a man of many tongues. Uh, Spanish is not one of them. No, it is not. It's probably French and mostly English. Anyway, uh, due to the unique way this podcast is produced, it is still just Timo and I. Ellie Mae Taylor is not here as we record these on the same day we do our race review, so she is unfortunately a little too busy to be with us this evening. Um, but nonetheless, it is time to look ahead to the Mexican Grand Prix and we'll have a quick peek at some news from the past week that we didn't get around to mentioning in our US Grand Prix review. First out of the gate, Timo. As it's the Mexican Grand Prix, it seems only appropriate to talk about Singapore 2023, which is going to have a new temporary layout just for the one after there's uh, conflicting of events, I think. I don't know what the other event is. It's not motorsport related, so I don't really care. Um, but it means that they've cut out Alice Powell's favourite overtaking spot under the grandstands around turn 20-ish. So it'll reportedly make the lap time, funny coincidence, 20 seconds quicker which is ridiculous. It's going to take a big chunk out of the time, but it's also making it a lot faster of a section. You get a long straight through there, which is going to be interesting because... Kevin Magnussen, new lap record in this house. I wouldn't be surprised. He could. There could be some interesting lap times, especially because at that point you're basically barreling towards the, the sort of double left-hander that brings you on to the start-finish line. If you can get enough speed through there, there's going to be a lot of energy arriving at turn one on racing laps. So could be one to watch out for. If it works, they might keep it. I don't know, I haven't really heard too much about it. I hope they don't, to be honest, because I quite like that twisty section there, and Singapore is a technical track, and I would hate to see them take that out just because of speed. Yeah, it'd be a shame to see lose the sort of the technical, the advanced engineering side of things that makes the drivers think and sort of very carefully place it on the brakes. So we'll see how it pans out. Could be, could be differing opinions. In terms of other stuff to watch out for, though, um, yeah, there are a lot of teams that have FP1 seats left to fill. Obviously, we saw five junior drivers on the grid, on the track in America for the FP1 session. Uh, we know McLaren are running Pato Award in Abu Dhabi. Um, I should probably um, give Ellie Mae some slack and actually do it in American, as I insisted she did for the US Grand Prix preview. We've got McLaren running Pato Award uh, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's a better pronunciation than Crofty did all weekend of Alex Pillow. Alex Pillow. How did you do it? How did he do it? I miss, missed it for FP1. I, I don't know. I tried thinking about it earlier, and everything just sounded so wrong. I wasn't sure which one he went for, but it was just... It was wrong every time. crucified it. And Brundle would then immediately say it correctly, but wouldn't say... No, this is how you say it. It just sort of, it's Alex Pillow saying it correctly. Mm -hmm. 
I think it was Alex Palau that was what I was saying. It was very much, but not even you could get away with that with a with a US accent or a thick Texan accent, but it was just crofty accent, which is. Yeah. Anyway, um, McLaren we know are going to be running award for uh, Abu Dhabi, and uh, it's tricky to say award without getting slightly too Irish on the finish of that one. Um, Alpha Tauri, however, do not have a second because he's Mexican. Especially as he's Mexican, <laughs> but it's not an immediately Mexican-sounding name, is it? If you said his name was Peter Award, you'd think, oh yeah, possibly sort of American Irish. Uh, anyway, we're getting completely anyway. sidetracked. Uh, Alpha Tauri do not have a second FP1 session booked in. Although if they were to use anyone, it would make sense to use Nick DeVries. They haven't confirmed this yet, but if they're going to do it, they might as well get him in the car now and get him at least to have a drive around a circuit under competitive conditions. Aston Martin are using uh, Felipe Drugovic in Abu Dhabi, so he will complete their uh, junior driver roster. Ferrari have one left to run, and they're probably going to use Robert Schwartzman again because I don't think they've got anyone else that's close to having... They've got Arthur Leclerc, but that's F3. I don't think there's F2 at the moment who's Ferrari driver. Can you even based. do an FP1 session from F3? Ferrari, they kind of do what they want, so I guess they could if they wanted to. But again, Schwartzman's good enough, so why not? Schwartzman's good enough, and he's proving to be sort of reliable enough. He does a lot of their testing and development stuff back at Fiorano with Giovinazzi, so he's decent, that's for say, and it would be interesting to see first if he can... just Schwartzman drive around the track and Giovinazzi just crashing again. <laughs> Shh, don't, yeah, don't this one, me. This one works, guys. It, it, good crash test. My heart is still sore. Uh, Mercedes still have an. So is his knees. Mercedes still have an open seat for their second FP1 session, and Red Bull are likely to run Liam Lawson in their seat, shying away from using Vips for obvious reasons. So obviously, Mercedes might use De Vries, but it's. Vesti. Uh-huh. Vesti. Is the only one I can think of there. F2 driver, Mercedes junior driver. He's been in F2, I think this is either his first or second season, I can't remember, and they don't really have anyone else that they could... They've got a lot of young talent, but it's crucially young and not even in F3 yet, so I don't know. that They wouldn't want to go for De Vries because then he'd take secrets off to AlphaTauri and Red Bull, and, okay, they don't necessarily need them at the moment, but you never know what might come in handy, so if I was them, I'd use Vesti because... Who asked? You you could use Van Dorn, but you wouldn't get the. He doesn't count as a rookie. Yeah, the rookie side of things ticked, so it doesn't really work for them, and there isn't really anyone else. Yeah, I guess either they have to use De Vries because he's the only other person available, or they go for like you said, Frederick Vesti. I think this is his first year in F two, and he's not done too badly with it. To be fair, I was listening to him on another podcast earlier. No, and I I think if it was one of those kind of things where given the chance to show that there's potential for him getting there. And again, maybe it's just a, here's a nice thing we're going to do for you. Here's your Christmas present early. Here's a couple of FP1 sessions. But, you know, why not? And again, do one of them at Abu Dhabi because it just makes sense. And again, there's nothing in the rules that says it has to be at separate weekends, does it? So he could do one FP1 session for... In case it has to be an FP1. Lewis. In theory. And anyway, Mercedes have already done one FP1 session with De Vries, so they've only got to run it once. Oh yes, of course, De Vries. <laughs> if, you, if you look at the listings of it, yeah, if you look at the Wikipedia listings of it, there's sort of about four different teams he's run for. Basically, anything with a Mercedes power plant he's driven this year. So he's not done too badly in that regard, apart from the McLaren. Uh, is the only Mercedes-powered car he hasn't driven. But uh, speaking of cars that haven't been driven in FP1 sessions by rookies, Alpine, they have 
both of their FP1 sessions still to dole out. But according to motorsport.com, as of earlier tonight, Jack Doohan will drive for Alpine in FP1 in Mexico. Okay, so he'll... So that is at least one sorted, and it would make sense to do it for him again, probably Abu Dhabi. Probably, yeah, Abu Dhabi when he's going to be there anyway for F2. It seems yeah. a bit last minute. It does feel a bit like McLaren have gone... Bugger, we've lost Piastri. They all just remembered. And then they go... That they need to fill these oh, and that the driver's not around. We haven't got Piastri. He was booked in to do all these things for us. Damn. And then they've had to literally go off and find Jack Dewan's number somewhere in the back of their, like, F2 roto decks and just go, okay, we'll give him a bell and see what he says. To be fair, when Elping come knocking with high-speed circuit of Mexico and a very high-speed car, something I'll get onto later, you're not going to say no to giving it a test, are you? So that could be exciting to see. We'll move on from something that is exciting to see to something that is best described as confusing, Timo. Yeah. After W Series had to cut their season short, essentially, due to lack of funding, due to an investor who we still don't know who he is, but I don't like him. Um, F1 looking to set up their own all-female feeder series, keyword being their own. And it's just a bit odd because it's good in one way, but it sucks because they just didn't support W Series and it does seem a little bit, oh, the women can't do it, so we'll just have the bloke come in and we'll do it properly for you and show you how it's really done. And it just screams of, and just what happened to We Races 1 and why not kind of support the, the the platform that has everything already in place needs a bit of tweaking, which I talk about in my article that I wrote for Is It Fast about. If it comes back, maybe this delay in the gap between 2022 and 2023 season is can be a good thing if handled correctly because you could improve some of the things on the car. You could improve some of the things with terms of fan engagement as well in taking inspiration from other motorsport series. But again, it's just... Why is F1 doing this? It does feel like it's progress, but not in the like two steps forward, one step back kind of way. It's very odd. It's going to be open to drivers as young as 16. And you've written that, crucially, W Series isn't dead and gone, but it's not W Series they're supporting. So it doesn't revive it in any way. It just means that, if anything, they're plucking whatever meat they can from the corpse of it and trying to use it for their own thing. And... In the time where Lewis was saying before the weekend we should be doing stuff to, to help out W Series, this isn't really what he had in mind, I don't think. And whilst obviously people will say that the likes of him, Vettel, or a few others probably have the money to fund W Series themselves, it's not their responsibility. And when you've got the FIA and F1 making such a big hoo-ha about having it on the same weekend as them, you'd think maybe you'd do something about it instead of just picking over its carcass. It's weird that... It, okay, so... I'm. I sort of have two very weirdly different opinions on this. It's great to see F1 do or F1 as a group doing something active to bring women into motorsport, give them a platform they can work of, give, give them, them something enough. that is closely linked to F3, F2 and the feeder series. It's great to see that. At the same time, it's weird they're doing this, not necessarily at the loss of W series, but almost in direct competition with W series. I don't one, understand why one, one they if W series would if they would have done it. Yeah. It, one wonders if they potentially know something a bit more about the inside line as to what is happening with W Series, whether or not there is a future season for it. Hence the reason why they've decided to put forward this sort of feeder series option. 
and as you said pick over the bones of it but we don't know truly if w series is dead yet i hope it isn't it's a brilliant series it's not without its flaws for certain kind of again good and bad if it is and isn't because if you have it as well then does that mean we have w series again a lot on the same weekend do they have alternating weekends what would that even look like because again according to the speculation and stuff we're hearing from inside the paddock it could be set up for as early as next year which WC is obviously looking to be back up there for next year as well. So the weekends are long enough when you have F2, F3 and W Series already this year. You add another thing to that, especially when you don't need them at all of the races anyway because of other support races like Porsche Super Cup and whatever else you have. It we just, get Masters Historic as well. Yeah. And it just... It's, it feels like you mean well, but you've you've... It's kind of like oh, you're in pain from this paper cut. Let me give you a paper cut on a different part of your body to distract you from the pain. Like, I like what you're trying to do there, but it's not really helping. It's a backhanded compliment in a way, and it'll be interesting to see if... Obviously, I don't think they're going to pile W Series and whatever Formula One's version of that is onto the same weekends. It'll be interesting to see if W Series is almost driven away from it, back to how it was in 2019 when it ran on a very different calendar season and almost supported DTM, I think, when it ran. Um, so will you be able to run in both seasons at the same time, in the same way that you get a few people sort of joggling between different regional F3 seasons, where you could run in Formula 1's official W Series and the OG W Series? Could you somehow run in both, get double the super licence points, double the cash prizes? But again, it, why so do many... that when it's just easier and better when you just have the one and just milk the living daylights out of it and do it properly you've already got all the basics you know what works you know what doesn't build on that and crucially because of the age thing between drivers that will be as young as 16 but they've put an age limit on it of 22 the drivers that have already worked their asses off to get to this point which we're looking at Jamie Chadwick Alice Powell Emma Kimlinen Marta Garcia Jess Hawkins Abby Eaton the list goes on I'm just trying to run out of drivers a little it's- bit Sarah Moore it's kind of the overwhelming majority of the W Series paddock wouldn't actually be eligible. I think only the likes of like Juju Noda, Bianca Bustavanti, Abby Pulley, even young enough to make the cut. Just, just about, I think, yeah. But again, yeah, it's, I think she's only about twenty-one. But again, it's 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 ridiculous because whilst in again the article I wrote where I reckon all of those drivers currently on the W Series grid should go if W Series is gone. I don't want them to have to do that because they all deserve the shot, at least a lot of them, like your Jamies, your Martyrs, your Fabians, deserve a shot in F3 at the very least before they get cold for whatever reason. At least get the chance to show your metal in F3 and F2. And at this rate, how is that going to happen? Because if F1 is so focused on this feeder series... They're only going to be looking at the young blood coming through, and oh, too bad for everyone else. You just you were born at the wrong time, and we only decided to do this now instead of 10, 20 years ago when it should have been done in the first place, anyway. So, of course, the biggest question if this does go forward, I'd love to know the reasoning behind it because what they officially say will be very, I imagine, will be very different to what the actual reasoning is. And yeah, it does seem like in recent months this whole re-race the whole we races one message has been brought back in terms of where's that gone <laughs> and Dominicali saying we won't probably have a female driver for 10 years or whatever it was not helping very much at all and criticized by several of the drivers 
no guesses as for who, Lewis and Sebastian mainly. Um, it just it doesn't add up nicely as they want us to believe it does. Yeah, I mean, the final thing I'll throw into this on the age thing, especially with the new F1 series, is I can understand why they've gone for this younger thing. Obviously, that's where you're going to be finding this new talent that's coming through. You've got to replace the older generations at some point. That's a given. You can't deny it as fun as it is to be sort of old and curmudgeonly and not wanting new things. There's got to be someone coming through that series eventually, and you've got to find them from somewhere. There is great, very young people coming through. They're already getting to this precipice point where they need this series to be set up or they need to be getting into F3. So F1 is hopefully going to be able to step in and provide that bridging point for talented female drivers coming through. It's annoying that we've got these talented female drivers already that won't make the cut for it due to the age thing. And I think the key issue here is W Series was successful or has been successful thus far. I won't talk of it as though it's dead. Has is successful because of that age range span. You look at Abby Pulling, would she be achieving what she's achieving if it weren't for the older head of Alice Powell, mm. who potentially has realised that while she might not be making it into F1 anytime soon because she is a bit older, there is obviously the shelf life she has available. It's weird to talk, say shelf life, talking about human, but that's the element that it is. Is her shelf life is limited as a top flight racing driver. However, Alpine have picked up the fact that she has a talent for spot. She has a knack for spotting talent and for coaching talent, as they've seen with her do with Abby Pulling. So that age thing has worked brilliantly on her side because it's secured her a role at Alpine, and it's also improved Abby Pulling's chances. She's had the chance to speak with an older racing driver, work with them on a close sort of format, and learn and grow from it. And very so much so, if, if you look at Spa last year. Whilst that was good experience for all of the drivers considering the very well conditions, it was Emma Kimmelainen who, again, one of the older drivers who came through and was just absolutely masterful for that. And again, you wonder, you would have got a winner in that race regardless, but it might have taken a bit longer because of everyone being so cautious with it and it wouldn't have been as exciting to watch. And that brilliant thing, if we go back to F1 from this week, from last weekend with the United States Grand Prix, Alonso, Vettel, these so-called veterans of the sport, the oldies. Elder statesmen. And doing an absolutely brilliant job of it. So it, it helps make the argument for keeping these women in there. And they're still a good, what, 10, 12 years younger than Alonso and Kimi are and Vettel. Yeah, they're a long way off the upper age limit that you would expect of someone to be racing in top flight single seaters and even if you allow them two years to get through F3 two years to get through F2 before they get into F1 they've still, still got... get to the age that Nick DeFries is as he makes his debut next year yes if you literally sort of took Abby Pulling and chucked her into an F3 seat for next season fast forward four years she's still a year shy I think of mm. uh, Nick DeVries as he's coming into it which is not really any age at all and you look at the fact that uh, obviously we've had K-Mag come back we've had Alex Albon come back Albon is I think he's the same age as I am so he's 25 or possibly a year older um, Kevin's obviously a few years older than me again They're, you're able Austin to come Hulk coming back as well yeah you're able to come either into the sport or come back into the sport at a slightly older age these days just with the nature of the cars so yeah I don't. the age is Potentially not as much as potentially we see it as a cut-off point, but potentially as the sport or people that work and manage the sport see it as a cut-off point, I think, is where this Which comes from. you'd think 
they should know better than we do, considering we are not privy to all the information. But Timo, we've established on this podcast many a time that we know better than the FIA. I think that's that's a given at this point. It's a sad but very true truth. It is very true indeed. We'll move on from, as ever, berating the FIA for their constant misdemeanours to looking back at the Mexican Grand Prix. And we'll start with when we last went there, which was last year, 2021. Although if you're Formula E, you went there at the start of this year and had a very interesting race where Porsche won, I think, which was quite good. I remember watching that. But anyway. Porsche won too. It was one of the best races of the Formula E season. It was jolly enjoyable indeed. We're talking Formula One. The last time we were there, 2021, it was the 18th of 22 races on the calendar. And it was also the first real Grand Prix Timo and I reviewed way back when this was still called the Drive Tribe F1 podcast, which... Crikey. We're approaching a milestone here. We're approaching a one-year anniversary of being together. That sounds wrong on so many levels, and I hope your girlfriend comes into the room now to help make this a lot nicer, just for everyone. Are we doing anything to celebrate? Are we going out for dinner? Do I need to get you a card? I'd like like some kind of attention, to be fair. You neglect me too much. (laughs) I'll shave my legs then. Um... Anyway, yeah, we'll move on from our one-year anniversary, which is fast approaching, to looking back at actually what happened in the Mexican Grand Prix last year. Well, we had a Mercedes front-row lockout as the Silver Arrows fought back to try and recover Lewis's championship from Max. Black Arrows last year. Well, Black Arrows last year, but they've the historic name, Silver Arrows. Um, Into turn two, Danny Rick locked up and punted Bottas and uh, Max sort of snuck through. He went on to lead most of the race with Checo taking the lead for a short while after Max's pit stop when he stayed out to cover Hamilton, a tactic that would go on to play favourably for Red Bull from races a lot closer to the end of the season. Um, Perez became the first Mexican driver to lead his home Grand Prix in doing so as well, which is a nice little story to have. Hamilton and Perez were pretty close towards the end with Perez not far from trying to get past him. Lewis clung on to second place and Perez came home third and in doing so became the first Mexican driver to get a a podium at his home Grand Prix. So again, nice stories to come out of it. The question is, will he be able to get the win this weekend? Different matter. Uh, Bottas went on to take the fastest lap of the race, but due to damage and his early spin, came home 15th place, so scored nothing for it. So, who does the track favour historically? If we ignore circuit changes and look back at the whole history of the Mexican Grand Prix, Alpine technically have the best odds, having won in 1962, 1963, 1967 and 1968, when they were technically called Lotus. The official Lotus, not Team Lotus, that was the Malaysian Lotus. But anyway, it all gets a bit confusing, and when I'd written this point in the script, I'd seen the word and written the word Lotus too many times, that it actually started to look wrong. It's sort of that thing where you say it too many times and go, nah, that's not a word. Anyway, um, technically it's Mercedes are the more recent era. The calendar was updated, the, ca- the circuit was updated before it came back to the calendar in 20... Technically the calendar was updated too. With it was, yes, in 2015 when the circuit rejoined the listings. Um, after which Mercedes won the 2015, 2016 and 2019 Grand Prix with Nico once and Lewis Hamilton the following two times. Max, meanwhile, won in 2017, 2018 and 2021. So constructors-wise, it's three apiece and... Uh, Drivers-wise, it's pretty evenly split as well, though this year I'd say the smart money is on the Dutchman. Although given Merck's and Lewis's form in the US, that's not to completely rule out the Englishman. He's won... There is a high-altitude factor that needs to be taken into consideration, though, which we haven't experienced too much with these new cars. We haven't experienced too much with these new cars, so we don't really know how to apply it to 
any of the teams to see who can best adjust to this. Um, and equally, given that uh, Lewis has won in every championship he's contested, Mexico represents the anti-penultimate chance he has to win this season. The official word for that, is it? That is, that's genuinely the word for it, anti-penultimate. That is such a terrible word. I like it. I had to Google what it was. But I was like, I'm fairly certain there is a phrase for third to last. Anti-penultimate just so it makes you think, oh, final. No, because that would be the ultimate, wouldn't it? No, it would be the final race. It's, it's, just accept the English, okay? It's anti-penultimate. This is his anti-penultimate chance to win. <laughs> just accept the English, a phrase that has been said throughout all of history. No bad repercussions ever. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, this is Lewis's anti-penultimate chance, it's like being on Dictionary Corner, uh, to win a race this season. Weather-wise, what can we expect? Uh, bear in mind we're recording this on Monday evening and the race is literally six or seven days Sunday from now. Evening. Um, it's going to be dry, from what I can tell, but Saturday afternoon could be wet. There's about a 6% chance, 60% chance of rain. So we uh, could have a soggy qualifying, but we'll wait and see. But yeah. If you're going to Mexico, probably worth checking. Maybe bring like a little pack of mac in your rucksack just to be on the safe side. The real question is, which on-track battles should we look out for? Uh, like Team already alluded to, this is a low-drag circuit. Mercedes v. Lotus. Mercedes v. Lotus. Tyrrell will come back um, to fight Lotus because then we'll at least have two not-at-all imperial teams. I'm writing this in as your wild prediction. <laughs> no, I'm not writing that in as my wild prediction. Uh, yeah, it's a low-drag circuit, courtesy of the sparse atmosphere, so teams run their high-downforce setups akin to what they do for something like Monaco or Singapore, but because, of course, the thinner air has less action over the aero surfaces, they don't lose out on the top speeds. Both Ferrari and Red Bull look strong in the Principality, so they've got fairly decent setups, and it'll be interesting to see how that applies in the thin air. They're coming off the back of Cota, where Red Bull's straight-line speed, even with DRS chasing them, saw them look pretty untouchable, to be fair. There were points where Charles Leclerc was chasing down Max Verstappen with DRS, and just wasn't really closing the gap. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Like Timo said in our US Grand Prix review as well, Mercedes have taken a step closer to the front too. So if they can keep their noses clean, note to George there, uh, they might be in with a chance of some podium finishes. The battle behind for P4 in the standings rages on though with McLaren and Alpine duking it out. Alpine currently lead by six points and they have a faster package in a straight line than McLaren. I think Alpine were topping out the speed trap at Cota. Have you taken into consideration Alonso's lack of points for that? Oh, yes. Yeah, I did because when I did the num numbers for that it was late in the morning and that had already been applied. Good boy. Um, yes. Uh, fairly sad, he says. He's just going to check quickly. You've made, you've made me second <laughs> doubt myself here. Now, now look what you've done. Uh, we'll go for BBC Sport as they are reliable. I trust Andrew Benson. Uh, standings, constructors, Alpine 144, McLaren 138. Six, six, six points. points. Yeah. See, I knew what I was doing. Um, but Alpine do, of course, have the faster package in a straight line. They were a bit quicker through the speed trap at Cota, so McLaren could have a fight on their hands if they want to get any points out of them. So we'll have to see what happens there. Further down the field, Seb seems to be settling into his Aston Martin well, albeit very late in the season, and if they can coax some points out of it, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him mop up a few more this weekend. Which leads nicely into our predictions, and I will kick things off 
and it's not really a surprise. It's more of a safe bet, and I really shouldn't have said that considering what's going to happen now that I've said that. But I'm going to say Max Verstappen for pole position. And Jesse, you have followed suit. I followed suit. Uh, at this point, I need the points in our little cons- our little predictions battle, and I figured there's no point in going a bit wild and optimistic and predicting Perez. So... I, I do very much feel like the Mercedes of the three of us, where Ellie Mae is the Red Bull and I'm just taking points out of you so you can't beat her as the Ferrari. But if I'm copying you, does that make me racing point in 2020? Well, you've copied both of us at some point, so yeah, yeah it definitely smells of that. Yeah, I just think it's, it's going to be a Max Verstappen pole, fastest car, fastest driver. It's, it's going to happen. Enough Which so. is a bit of a disappointment for Ellie Mae and her Charles Leclerc pole position prediction, but I don't know, Charles has got a... He's good at getting pole position. It's the wins that yeah. are the trouble. And I know that Charles Leclerc will have the most poles this season. If you, he, yeah, it's untouchable now at this point. There's not enough races left for that to yes. swing. Yeah. Fair enough. Which, as for the podium, I desperately want Sergio Perez to win at his home race because it would just be mental. We saw how mad it was last year when he got on the podium. So him getting the win would just be chef's kiss. Carlos Sainz, I'd like to see him not only finish the race, but I'd like to see him come home in second place for that kind of Spaniard-Mexican collaboration that I'm going to say there. And then to top it all off, obviously, George Russell in third. That's not a bad shout. I've gone similar-ish. I've gone for the Sergio Perez win. You've gone very ballsy for B2. I've gone... Sergio Perez for the win because again I think the home crowd is going to carry him on obviously Red Bull have got the constructors they've got the drivers they've got the wiggle room now to start playing around with things and it's sort of time lucky timing for Perez he can say Max owes Perez big time so I feel like he should be a rear gunner for him for his home it's not going to hurt anyone for Max to sacrifice a few bits here and there to give Perez a win at home second place I've gone also works perfectly because if Perez wins Mexico, then Lewis can win Brazil, and then Vettel can have an Abu Dhabi, and Max can then not beat Michael and Lewis for race wins in a season. Mm. Oh, sorry, Michael and, Michael and Vettel, Vettel for race wins in a season. That is very true. Uh, my second place prediction though is Esteban Ocon. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon we're going to see an SD bestie podium this season. I reckon it's going to happen. I would like to note to the viewers, uh, the viewers, the listeners, that Jesse is high on cocaine as he records this podcast, and that is the explanation for this. I would like to point out to any future employers that are listening to this podcast, I am not <laughs> high on class A drugs. You categorically deny I this. I refute that statement entirely. I am not on drugs. Uh, Esteban Ocon, second place at the Mexican Grand Prix. I did not have. <laughs> I did not have extramarital affairs with that woman. Um... I, it, the fast car, fast driver, and this will play a bit more sense when I sort of when you think about how much I'm bolstering Alpine here when you get to my wild predictions as well. But I can just see it just being a good weekend for Esteban, especially over Alonso. Especially over Alonso, but that will make sense in a minute. But I, it, it just makes sense to me. It, I can just see it happening. I, I just want a dream. Uh, third place, Lewis Hamilton, pretty self-explanatory. Oh, that bit you didn't dream on that. You ran out of dream fuel, did you? I, I thought I'm going to allow myself to gamble on one of these and the rest of the time I need the points for the, the battle. So, there we go. Ellie me, Ellie me, Ellie May, meanwhile, has gone for a very optimistic, but also not terribly optimistic, Carlos Sainz for first place, with Sergio Perez in second, reversing my poll, my podium prediction there, with Charles Leclerc in third place. 
And she's had some notes with that saying, Carlos' own strategy, which makes sense considering he's much more successful when he has his own thing run with Ferrari. He takes the lead of the Grand Prix, nipping Sergio Perez, who is leading, whilst Leclerc gets, quote, f***ed over by the strategy. She doesn't know where Verstappen is in this whole thing and just describes it as also very Monaco 2021, but without rain. And Sergio and Carlos swap positions. Which I think she probably means 2022, by the way. Yeah, I'm trying to remember Monaco last year. I don't recall it being particularly exciting. It was Max Verstappen with uh, Sergio, no, Carlos in second, I don't know. That was it. And Charlotte Claire retired from pole with a broken half shaft, wasn't it? Before he started, yes. Fastest lap, though, Jesse, which <laughs> you don't want points at all. No, do I'm you? just still pondering over Ellie Mae's podium, just thinking, like, the fact that are we going to hold her to all those details? It's more realistic than yours. Yeah, are we going to hold her to all those details? Like, she will not get points if Carlos Sainz doesn't do his own strategy, if he doesn't just nip Sergio Perez. And I will let you argue that one with her. I'm not getting in the middle of that. <laughs> How much do I break my co host's heart? I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, fastest lap. Timo, you've gone pretty pretty down the line. Max Verstappen, fast car, fast driver. Max yeah. Verstappen. I figure as he's going to be a re-gunner for Sergio, he's going to console himself with a fastest lap. Yeah, it's not bad. I've gone for Esteban Ocon because fast car, fast driver. You're nuts. I'm a little bit nuts. I'm a little bit fruity. I want that. I want I, points for Esty Bestie, okay? Fruity being the fruit-laden edibles that he's currently eating whilst he's making these predictions. For future employers, that is fictional. <laughs> these edibles age. What is not fictional is Ellie May's <laughs> fastest lap prediction, which is George Russell in an interesting twist there for someone who isn't a big fan of George Russell. So not sure her reasoning there, but I can get on board with it. Yeah, that. not sure why she's gone for that one. Anyway, we'll move on from something quite as left field as Ellie May predicting something for George Russell and to the wild predictions. Timo, oh, that's hardly a wild prediction. That's just something that's going to happen. That's Great British Bake Off. We can't guarantee that. We can't guarantee it. Oh, come on, he rocked up to Kota just... on a horse dressed as a cowboy. Of course he's going to turn up to Mexico wearing a sombrero. I didn't say turn up though, it was just some point at the weekend. So, so he's going to walk through the gates on Thursday morning. At some point in the weekend. Well, we will see, won't we? I mean, again, I feel like some of us have to be a little more sensitive in all our predictions because you've gone off your fucking nut with all of your predictions. I haven't, okay. Right, Alonso has to pull out on medical grounds post-US shunt and Piastri is awkwardly shuffled into the seat because no one else is around or viable. Who is Alpine's reserve driver? No, I know it's off okay. the Astri, but I'm just saying, if this happens, it will be entertaining, but also... <laughs> but hear me out, right, okay. What happened to Abby Eaton? I love how you said earlier this would make sense later, and then it didn't. This makes sense to me in very much a sort of... A heroin-induced no, phase. No, this is uh, very much, um, what's it, Tio Pepe? Um, no. What's it from, Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Who is Pepe Silvia? This is this is my this is oh you've not seen Always Sunny have you? Oh, it's a wasted reference. This is anyway for those of you who listen to this who have seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia. This is my who is Pepe Sylvia moment. Right, Alonso will pull out on medical grounds post US shot and Piastri is awkwardly shuffled into the seat because no one else is around or viable. Alonso will pull out due to medical grounds. This is because if we rewind to last year to W Series at Cota, we saw Abby Eaton break her back after having a bit of a bump coming over one of the rumble strips on the exit of would have been term 16, I think. I'd like to point out that she did that pretty quickly 
and Alonso then finished a Grand Prix on his supposed broken back. Yes, he did it at 186 miles an hour was the speed he collided with the back of Stroll. I don't think it was going quite as fast. I forgot how much faster W Series cars are than F1 cars. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, but so he was going fast. He also, yes, he completed the race, but he would have been running on, I don't know, perhaps adrenaline, but also he looked in pain and exhausted when he got out of that car. So did Lewis when he got out of the car in Baku. Yeah. <laughs> he was fine. But, Alonso's not got anything to fight for at the moment. He's miles off his his teammate in the constructors' standings. He's not going to... If anything, that would spur on a lion like Alonso. Nah, he's old. He's fragile. He fell off his bike at the start of the season. <laughs> he's taken a race off, and we're getting Piastri in that seat. It's, he might not even want to take that off. He might be a bit achy, go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I'm going to have to sit it out, mate. I can just see it happening. Oh, because racing drivers listen to doctors. I can see it happening. Racing drivers always listen to doctors, sort of. They occasionally listen to them too much. Michael Schumacher caught playing football at home with Mick when he was supposed to be racing because he had a broken foot and he was instead stood in his garden. Yes, that that, that excellent uh, sport of resting football. Yes, just to go and offend that entire community, Jesse. No, <laughs> because he, he just sort of couldn't be bothered to go back for the rest of that season. So he was just sort of caught at home playing That's football. That's not how I'll be describing this to people. The... the, the the fact is... Jesse calls footballers... I didn't say that. You inter- you intuited that from something I must have briefly touched on. Said. Look, I don't mean any offence to football, but it is 90 minutes of running around pretending you're hurt. Anyway. <laughs> he says defending all of football. <laughs> I don't watch it. It doesn't matter. It's going to a terrible country for the World Cup. I don't care. Um, we'll move on from that before I offend Qatar again and I'm not allowed to go there to pundit for the season next year you're already not allowed to go you don't know that Ellie May has decided that she both loves and wants to punish Carlos Sainz because he's going to receive some form of penalty which given the stewards these days could be for just about anything but it's not going to be a penalty that impacts the fact that he wins the race No. She's predicted he wins the race, so what penalty, unless he... Well, yeah, but I'm just trying to think if there's a way that he could still somehow He has, like, a five-second lead and is given a five-second penalty, penalty. post-race penalty. Yeah, maybe something like that. I don't know. Something happens. Yeah. Yeah. Something's going to happen. A race will happen. That is our our prediction for this weekend coming. In Mexico. In Mexico. At Circuit Amanos Rodriguez. I think that's all we've got time for. Our fluent Spanish speaker, everyone. I, that was close enough. We, You know who we should speak to about this? Manena. She'll know how to pronounce things in Mexican Spanish. Um, I intend to do just that. Don't God, you worry. you're going to send these clips, aren't you? I'll get a recording, actually. We can play it side by side on the, in the Instagram reel. There we go. That's all under my control, so you can't Yeah, or just wait for her to release her like little weekend preview bit where she ultimately says all of that mm. in far better Spanish than I could. Um, go check her out. Friend of the podcast. as if she's fluent. Nice lass. Um, before we get completely sidetracked about my terrible language abilities, that is all we've got time for in this week's episode. Please remember to keep sending in your questions for our Q&A episode. If you have any cues that you would like us to A... Um, yeah, or if you're looking for A's to a Q, rather, uh, get them get them do those Q's to us on the socials. I forgot which way in the Q's and A's go. Uh, get them to us on the socials. We're all over... Don't hold your hand in your hand. We're all over TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have an email address that will be in the description for this uh, podcast episode. So be sure to get in touch. Timo, before you completely lose the will to live, where can the people find you? 
You can find me over on On The Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority Instagram, and Is It Fast, where I have my aforementioned article on W Series in white must return in 2023. Jesse, what about yourself? I can be found on Twitter and Instagram as at Jesse on Cars. And if you want to find me in person, please refrain from doing so. But you can find my work in a physical format at Classic Car Weekly. Go and buy it. It's good fun. We've got a crossword. There'll be a new edition out when you come to listen to this one. I can't remember what's in it for the life of me. I think, oh yeah, a news piece led by Jacob Rees-Mogg saying classic cars should be protected. Which, to be fair, they probably should be. Yeah, it's just weird that we did have a very heavy discussion in uh, the work group chat about uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the uh, Member of Parliament for the 18th century. Anyway, uh, if you want to find Ellie May when she is back on the podcast, you can find her on Instagram where she writes her key takeaways and also runs our TikTok account, which hopefully this podcast will have generated some content from. Uh, We'll wait and see. Uh, In the meantime, though, that is all we've got for this week's episode. Join us again soon when we'll be reviewing the Mexican Grand Prix and Timo and I will be celebrating our one-year anniversary. Sweet. We've even had a kid in that time. (laughs) 